Well, good morning. Great day to be alive. Great day to celebrate baptism. Amen. 11 people being baptized today. And I can tell you this, our church is committed to connecting your story with Christ and others. Our vision over the next five years is to see 1,500 people authentically come to meet Jesus Christ and become full-on disciples of Jesus Christ. So that's our vision. That's where we're going. And so even the fruit and just the ministry that we've been able to take part in uh, here today through baptism is outstanding. As Steve said, your generosity matters. When you give, you're investing in lives of people radically being transformed and changed for eternity families being changed, neighborhoods and communities being changed. What do you say we continue to rally together and be all in and just all committed to what God has called us to be? I love you guys. Thank you for your partnership and for believing in what God has called us to do here. You know it's Sunday because it's raining. It rains a lot here on Sunday. And uh, again, uh, we're not, we're not going to be disturbed with a little noise. We're not going to fall asleep. We're going to turn our cell phones off. We're going to eliminate distractions. We're going to lock in, and we're going to expect to hear from God this morning. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's, uh, let's pray it up. Lord, open every heart, every mind to your voice, your call, your purposes as we share your word today. I pray that this would be a transforming day for every guy and gal, man, woman, boy, and girl in this room right now. I pray that we came in here anticipating uh, an encounter with you, God, hearing from you, and that our resolve is we'll do whatever you show us to do. As we continue this series on soul restoration, Father, I do pray for restoration of every soul, the thinking, the emotions, the will, the spirit inside of the people under my voice right now. I pray, Father, that you would do a work for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we started a four-week series that we've titled Soul Restoration. And we talked last Sunday about the power to change. And reality is we need a power greater than our own strength if lasting change is ever going to happen. Today I want to talk to you about the desire to change. There has to be deep down inside of us a desire to be more than we've been. So I would ask you a question. If you could change one thing about yourself today, what would it be? What would you change about yourself right now if you could change anything? I know with plenty of you women coming in here with the rain and humidity, you would change something about your hair. Amen? <laughs> Guys, if I've heard a, a, a woman talking about wanting to change her hairstyle, hair color, whatever, I'm like, are you kidding me? That is not a temptation I have. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Some of you come in here today and you go, I want to change my weight. I don't like, I don't, I don't, I don't like the way I look. Those... Uh, those, for a guy, those 36, 34s, man, I need a 40 now. Uh, I can't fit into those things. I, I, I need to watch what I'm eating. I need to change my diet. Some of you come in here and you go, if I could change anything, it would be my job. Others, you would say, there's certain aspects of my personality. Now, you better not say your spouse or what church you go to. I'll throw something at you today. <laughs> but what would you change? As a nation, we attend seminars. We read books. We try new diets. But when we stop at times, we get frustrated and we go, why is nothing really working? Why doesn't it last? Marriage is hanging on by a thread. Financially, I still find myself about halfway broke. Something's miss missing. Something's wrong. What is it inside of me? What do I need to do 
to see lasting change. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever been there? I remember that October of 1985 evening after just going out and drinking like a fish. I mean, I was, I was lost. I was a pagan. I, I was flooded with the things of the world. And I remember driving home that night and taking that Budweiser can and slamming it down on Interstate 85 just south of Noonan. I'm like, something's got to change. I, I can't stay this way any longer. I, I've lived in stable misery and defeat. Something's got to change. Here's a premise thought. God wants to change you. And God desires to bring about transformation in your life. Now listen to me. A life that's not willing to change will be a wasted life. Change is crucial if you're going to experience maturation and growth. If you're ever going to mature, you're going to have to change. And any lasting change that is ever to take place in our lives that's going to glorify God has to start on the inside, not the outside. And any type of inside change has to be a work of God. You've got to experience God on God's terms if you're ever going to see lasting change. Now, last week I talked to you about Elijah. We talked about, again, the power to change. This week, I want to introduce you to a guy in Genesis chapter 25 through chapter 32, a guy by the name of Jacob. Jacob. And Jacob was a shady character. If you know anything about scripture and about his narrative, this was a shady dude. His name literally means deceiver and schemer, cheater, supplanter. And, and when you look at him, you go, what, what, what was wrong with this guy? Now, that, that's, a, that's a pretty wicked name to have, if you will. His name's Jacob. Now, I'm not dogging my buddy Jacob Rager up here. I'm not saying his mom and dad jacked him up. I mean, a lot of us went to biblical names, but if we ever comb through them, it's like, what are you going to name him? Well, that's an interesting name. But Jacob has a divine encounter with God, and everything is radically changed from that point on. He, uh, we'll get to the story here in Genesis chapter 32, but he has a divine encounter with God, and he was never the same. And God ends up changing his name as a result of this encounter from Jacob to Israel. And Israel means one who will struggle and wrestle with God, but yet will prevail. There was an entire nation named after Jacob, after this text right here. And I think it's important to know that. Now, pick it up with me in verse 25. Jacob was all alone in the camp. Scripture says, and a man came and wrestled with him until daybreak. A man, Hosea chapter 12, verse 4 says, it was an angel of God. It was the very power and presence of God. So Jacob had this wrestling match all night. When the man saw that he would not win the match, win the match there literally is emphasizing that he still hadn't had a major breakthrough with Jacob yet. Jacob still was hanging on to Jacob. Jacob was still scheming. When the man realized he could not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and dislocated it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Then the man said, what's your name? And Jacob said, my name is Jacob. And he says, the angel says, from now on, your name will no longer be Jacob, your name will be Israel because you've wrestled and fought with God, but yet you have prevailed. I want to give you four nuggets today as we unpackage some of the thought process here in the life of Jacob. Open, 
open your heart, open your mind, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. The first thing we see is a crisis in this text. There was a wrestling match. Jacob was on the run. Jacob was about to encounter his brother Esau. I'll paint that up in a bit. But Jacob was on the run. Jacob had been running all of his life. Jacob was a liar, a schemer, everything about him. And all of a sudden, he finds himself alone with God. When God is desiring to get your attention, he will oftentimes start with a crisis, with a problem, with tension, with turmoil. God will oftentimes allow things to be put in your life, a situation where you look at it and you go, this is beyond human control. I don't feel like I can, I can win at this one right here. I don't know what to do. And when you start looking at your strength and your resources and what you have, you make conclusions going, I, I can't win here. I, I, I don't even know what to do with this one right here. Have you ever been there? You ever been there where you felt like, man, I, I don't know what to do? Exhausted, tired, spent mentally, emotionally, physically. But I want you to hear this. God will oftentimes use struggles and problem and pain, even death, even discouragement in relationship to get your attention. And if you're in a crisis right now, don't ask God to bail you out of it too quickly. Don't, don't try to run from it. Because you may be exactly where God wants you right now for God to open up your heart, open up your eyes, open up your mind to bring about deep transformation and change. Now, here's what I know about all of us. We will never change until we get fed up with who we are. We will never change. Each and every one of us has to reach a place of disgust, disgusted with ourselves, Man, I'm sick of me. I'm sick of my, my patterns. I'm sick of my schemes. I'm, I'm sick of the way I do things. I'm, I'm sick of me. And you've got to get to the sick of me place in order to become desperate for God to do something. And God will allow you to get there. You have to become miserable. You have to, be, to, to realize, I, I'm, God, if you don't show up right now and do something, I have no chance. And some of you are there right now. Here's a quote I wrote down that we won't change until the pain we're experiencing is greater than the fear of change itself. I, I, I'm afraid to change. I, I, I don't want to change. But when the pain that you're going through and the, the heartache and the, the trauma that you're going through is greater than the fear, you'll go, it's time for some change. It's time for me to deal with God. I, I, I got to quit running from me. I got to quit running from my mistakes and my failures and my problems. It's time for God to do something with me. I, I'm tired of running. Are you tired of running today? You tired of dodging God? You've been on the run. You, you won't surrender. You won't yield your heart to the Lord. Are you tired of it? And God will oftentimes bring about, even for a believer, a follower of Christ, he'll bring about what we call a crisis of belief. He will bring us to a place in our journey, even for a believer, a person that's been walking with Jesus, he'll bring us to a crisis of belief where he says, are you going to trust me, honor me, and obey me, or are you going to do your own thing? And all too often, so many of us look at it and go, I want to do my own thing. God's given me assignments over the years that I looked at that brought me to a place called a crisis of belief, and I'm like, I don't even know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. In 2010, I was in Arizona, and I remember walking. I was praying one morning, and I felt like God said, I want you to pastor locally. I'm like, I've never done that before. 
Well, I want you to pastor locally. It's time to get off the road. And I'm like, but I don't know how to do that. Here's what, here's what God showed me. Here's what God showed me. And here's what I believe to be true about you. When God gives you assignment that you think is greater than your own personal strength and resources, it will only happen through the power of the gospel. It will only happen through the strength of God. And what you do when you get to that place we call crisis of belief, what you do reveals what you believe. Did did you hear me? What you do reveals what you believe. And what you believe will oftentimes shock you if you're not careful. A lot of us can talk a game. We just don't know how to walk the game. We've got good semantics in the South. And churches are filled with people that know how to drop cliches. They just don't have any substance to them. And all of a sudden, they get exposed, and it's like, what am I going to do? So God will allow crisis to take place, and Jacob finds himself in a crisis. And it drives him to a place of commitment. Check this text out. When the angel said, let me go, Jacob replied, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. What Jacob was saying is, I am committed to having a breakthrough. I'm committed to leave here different than I got here. I'm committed to stay with you until you show me, God, your glory. I can't stay where I'm at. Jacob knew he was in need of change. He didn't like the situation he was in. And Jacob was sick and tired of Jacob. Tim had to get sick and tired of Tim. Tim had to run out of Tim. Tim had to get to a place where he hated Tim. Tim, 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 you suck. You blow it. You're you're awful in in regards to being a, a controller in your own life. You need help. You need a bailout plan in a hurry, brother, because you're, you're, you're a bad savior. And that's where Jacob gets. He finds himself going, I'm 100% committed to experiencing God. Uh, 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 let me go. I'm not going to let you go. And when God grabs our attention, he usually does not solve our problems immediately. Jacob, he was hanging on. He was fighting and wrestling with God. But a lot of us want God to solve our problems immediately. A lot of times when we're going through whatever it is, God wants you to meet in business. God wants you to stay with it. And there's so many people that miss God's best for your life. And you know this to be true, that God's brought you to a place of encountering him and dealing with you. But you quit. You get discouraged. You throw the towel in. You bolt. And he's like, it's not going to happen. You're going to have to stay with it. We live in a culture that has programmed us and taught us that we can have instant results, instant success, instant everything. Uh, Well, how do you, uh, we were cooking on a green egg egg last night. And it's like, how how do you do this? Just Google it. Just Google it. Well, uh, I'm struggling with my marriage. Just Google it. I I need a verse for how to raise my rebellious child. Just, Just Google it. And, and, and this generation is used to instant success. We had to go to a stinking library. We had to open up a book. We had to dive in and look for information. Not this generation. Instant, baby. Just do it. I want it now. And we've transferred that mindset over to God. God, I, I, I'm going to tell you. I, I, I prayed about this. How many times? Once? Stay hot. How's that working for you? And all of a sudden, God didn't answer me according to my timetable, so I say, forget you, God. 
I've had people tell me, oh, man, I'm going to get into the Word. And they pick up the Bible, especially around January 1st or 2nd. And you get about two or three days in. I'm going to stay with it. And you lay the Bible down. And three or four days later, I'm going to pick it back up. And you stay with it about three or four days. Then you lay it back down and you go, uh, I can't do it. Why? Because it requires commitment. And God brought him to a place saying, are you going to commit? Are you going to press in? People do it with church. I tried church. Tried it. What do, you, what do you mean by that? I've had people tell me, I tried God. God never called you to try him. He said, trust him. He said, die to yourself. Give up who you are. And if you really want God to change you, listen to me. You've got to realize you didn't get into this mess overnight. Your fears, your habits, your problems, your chaos, it's taken you years to be the idiot that you are. Come on. You want God to bail you out overnight? You want to take the blue pill and everything change immediately? And God goes, are you going to stay committed? You're going to have a breakthrough with me? You willing to wrestle with me? You know, you know what one of the craziest things is? I don't know if you know this. But when you study scripture, the Bible calls us Gentiles, which means we're mutts, sooners, dogs with no pedigree. We ain't got papers on us, basically. The Bible tells us that God had anointed and chosen the nation of Israel as his covenant people. Based on Romans 9, 10, and 11, the Bible tells us that he grafted us Gentiles in to the righteous branch of Israel. If we're going to know God, it implies that we are going to have to struggle and wrestle and spend time of, of really pressing in to say, I'm committed. I'm staying with it. Proverbs 16, 3 says, commit your works to the Lord. Commit your works to the Lord. Commit it. And your plans will be established. How committed are you today? God has brought you to a place of crisis. But he's looking at you saying, do you mean business? You're going to stay with it? You going through the motion? You got religion or do you have an authentic relationship with Jesus? What do you have? And it brought him to a place of confession. He gets to a place of confession. Verse 27, the angel said, what's your name? What's your name? What's my name? My name's Jacob. That's your name? Cheater? Schemer? That's your name? Yeah. Why is that important? In Genesis chapter 27, his dad Isaac is about to die. Isaac is old. Isaac is blind. Jacob had already stolen the birthright from Esau if you study it. Isaac and Rebekah had twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Esau was born first. A few minutes later, here comes Jacob. He'd already stolen his brother's birthright as the oldest. Esau was out hunting, doing whatever he did. He came in starving. And Jacob basically schemed him, saying, if you'll give me your birthright, I'll give you this bowl of stew. And so he takes it from him. And then Isaac is looking at Esau. Esau means hairy or reddish or whatever. And he's looking at him saying, I want to bless you. I'm about to die. He's blind. He can't see him, but he's talking to him. He goes, would you go out into the fields and kill my favorite wild game and bring me back this savory dish and, and we'll eat and enjoy and I'll bless you, son. 
Esau, I want to bless you. But Rebekah, who favored Jacob, you think your family's dysfunctional. Read some of his junk in Genesis. I'm just telling you the truth. Rebekah hears what Isaac has told Esau. And Rebekah, she, she runs over to Jacob and says, your dad's about to bless Esau. Uh, here's what he said do. He wants his favorite savory dish. I'm going to prepare it. We're going to put you some skin on so that you feel like Esau. We're going to put that wild game smell on you so that you smell like Esau. If you looked at these two brothers, I mean, just dead up. Jacob was a pretty boy. He wore Izod and shopped at Macy's. Esau was a redneck. He hung out at Bass Pro Shop. That's just kind of painting it up for you. I mean, you got to get into the text. So pretty boy is schemed by his mom. Now schemes his dad, cheater and liar. Comes in, sits before Isaac. I've got the meal that you asked for. I want you to bless me. And his dad said, what's your name? What's your name? And Jacob said, my name is Esau. He goes, well, you sound like Jacob, but you, you feel like and you smell like Esau, and he blesses him. Now, now, now Jacob is about to deal with Esau. He's stolen the birthright, stolen the blessing. He knows he's about to come face to face with Esau. He's been running. He's tired of scheming. He's in this camp. He's wrestling with God saying, I've got to stop being the schemer, deceiver, liar that I am. And the presence of God and the power of God through this man of God, this angel says, what's your name? God knows your name. God knows your character. Your earthly dad might have been blind, but your heavenly father's not. What's your name? And he had to own up to who he was. He had to confess his character. He had to confess his identity. He had to. Here, here, here's what I would say to you today. God knows your junk. God knows your crap. God knows those hidden things that you've suppressed and buried. God knows the very essence of your character. You might as well tell him who you are, but you will not have a breakthrough as long as you try to hide and cover and pose and pretend. You're not going to have a breakthrough with God. You can have an 85-minute religious experience on a Sunday morning, but you want to have an encounter with God. We will never change until we admit our failures, our sin, and our mistake. I'm going to do something. Here's a simple prayer. Lord, I'm a mess. Lord, I have a problem. Lord, I'm the problem. What's yours? What is your, your stuff you've been hanging on to? Liar. You stinking flirt, you drunk, you're arrogant, you're prideful, you're selfish. Tell God right now. 
You want to have a breakthrough? You want to experience the power and the presence of Christ in your life? Let's pray. Right now, you confess to God. God can hear every one of us. He knows our hearts. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I got to own up to who I am. God, here's my problem. Here's who I am. I struggle with lying. I struggle with flirting. I struggle with cheating. I struggle with drinking. I struggle with arrogance. I struggle with, I just don't struggle with it. I love living it out. Ask God to change you right now. Ask God to meet you where you're at. We're going to have an intense time of prayer and communion at the very end of our time today. But tell him right now, God, God it's time for me to get right. I don't want to hide, lie, cheat. I don't want to deny my character any longer. Here's my flaw. In Jesus' name, amen. Have, have you noticed how we love to deny it, deflect it? Have you noticed, even as a culture, how we love to blame other people for the junk that we're going through? One of the reasons we don't have breakthroughs, one of the reasons we don't experience revival is we love pointing the fingers at other people. Well, the reason I'm so jacked up, some of you had very tough childhoods, and some of you have gone through pain of betrayal, rejection, divorce, death, whatever. We've all been dumped on a little bit. But we love to deny it and not deal with it. I'll call the guy Joe. But about two and a half years ago, there was a guy that showed up here and started attending some on Sunday morning. Oh, Joe. One Sunday, he came forward, and my buddy Steve Trailer met him and prayed with him. And Steve was telling me the next day, interesting conversation with Joe. What made it interesting? Well, well Joe said he was a shyster and schemed people and the excitement for the forbidden. He really loved just the thrill of the chase. And he said he would scam people in the parking lots and he would do all this. And he came forward to, to ask for prayer. I said, that's cool. So Joe ends up showing up for our Rise Men's Bible study. Great Bible study on Wednesday nights, first and third. Same with our girls, Bloom. But oh, Joe shows up for the Bible study. And he comes a couple of times and he comes to me and he says, uh, man, you're talking about your story matters. I'd like to share my story. I said, I'll meet you next Wednesday at 5.30. We'll meet for an hour, and then we'll go into a rise. So we sat in my office, and he begins to tell me his story. He tells me how he pretty much jacked up his first family, how he betrayed his wife, how he turned her on to drugs, how he was incarcerated multiple times, how he lost his kids. And then he started talking about how he continues to be a scammer of people. And he goes, but, but I want to change. And I said, no, you deflect too much. No, no, I want to change. No, you deny too much. You love the excitement for the forbidden. You're aroused and enticed by what is forbidden. I don't know if you're done or not, dude, but time will tell. No, I want to get it right. Time will tell. About two weeks later, my buddy Nick Brown, who's in our church, Nick, give me a call. He goes, hey, you got a second? Sure. He goes, I got to tell you a story. I said, what's up? He said, I was in the Walmart parking lot over in Snellville grabbing a few items, came out of the store. While I'm walking to my car, a guy drives up next to me, looks at me and says, hey, man, I'm broke. My wife and I don't have anywhere to stay tonight. We don't have any food. I was just wondering if you could float me $20. And Nick said, I looked at him. 
and said, haven't I seen you before? And the guy said, um, no, I don't think so. And my buddy Nick Brown said, no, I saw you two weeks ago in the men's Bible study at the Cross Loganville. And he said the car got into drive very quickly and the guy took off. And I haven't seen him. You can acknowledge areas of your life that are deficient. But when you confess it and deal with it thoroughly, we're not talking about acknowledging that we're jacked up. That's a given. We will not experience a breakthrough until we confess thoroughly, itemized, specific what our areas are. So I would tell you again, God knows your junk. Deal with it. Don't stay defeated. Don't stay locked up. Don't stay in the prison that you're in today. Jacob knew that this wrestling match was more than just a, a fight. He knew that this was a game changer. He knew that this was a life changer. He knew that this was going to be an identity change for him forever. I believe for some of you sitting here right now, God is saying, hey, are you willing to fight through it? You want me to give you a quick answer? I'm not going to do it. You want me to solve your junk right now? I'm not going to do it. I want you to know that you mean business. I mean business to change you, but you've got to be willing to get there. Here's the last point. He moved to a place of consecration. He moved to a place of of consecration. The crisis led him to a place of committing to say, I've got to have a breakthrough. The commitment led him to a place of confessing, I've got to deal with it. But he led him to a place of consecration. The word consecration means to be dedicated to. It means to be the declaration of your life. And God became, began changing Jacob as soon as he admitted who he was. It was at that point that he started to consecrate his heart to truth. He had lived a lie. He had lived a schemer. Uh, you got to do something. You've got to consecrate your heart to truth. You, you can't deny it, denounce it any longer. The scripture says, Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet God has spared me. You couldn't even see God. God would smoke you dead if you got into his presence. And he goes, I have been with God. I've seen God. I've had a breakthrough with God. This is Peniel. This is the, the face of God right here. I'm consecrated to you. You've got to ask yourself the question, what are you consecrated to? Where's your authority? Who's your allegiance? Every one of us must have a face-to-face -face encounter with God if we're ever going to experience radical, lasting transformation in our lives. You cannot live on borrowed convictions and hand-me-downs. Sarah knew that her mom and dad's faith was not sufficient. You've got to nail it down. You've got to drive the stake in the ground. It doesn't matter what they believe. The question is, what do you believe? The line in following Jesus Christ is one deep. He never calls me to follow Steve, who's following Nick, who's following Barb, who's following him. He goes, Cash, come here. You follow me. You consecrate your heart to me. And once we've had that face-to-face -face encounter, we'll never be the, ch the same. Five plus years ago, we're looking at where we're at as a church. We come in here and it's like, you know what? There's got to be some changes. There's got to be some changes. The Oasis Church. I, I don't like that name. 
This is a place to come and be refreshed. We've got to change the name. Nomen est omen. My buddy Jim taught me this. Troll. Nomen est omen. Your name is your destiny. Our name was not the oasis. I'm like, what are you going to change it to? Nick and I, Steve, we got together, we prayed. What are you going to change it to? I'm like, I want to change it to the cross. I don't want this to be a place where people can come and be refreshed. I want it to be a place where people come and die. I want them to die to themselves so that they can live for the glory of God. This ain't a place just to come to chill, wallow in your sin, pacify your past, live in defeat. The word of the cross to those perishing, foolish, but to those being saved. We want to see people get saved, born again, set free. No man has stolen. We got to change the name. And so we changed the name. Verse 31 of the text says, uh, the sun rose above him as he passed through Peniel. And he was limping because of his hip. The sun passed over and he was limping because of his hip. I want you to get it in closing here. God touched him at a place of strength. People that are into exercise and physical training, you know as well as I do that the hip, the glutes, the hammies, the quad, this is one of the strongest areas on the body. And God touched him at a place of strength. Hey, hey Jacob, what, what have you done for the last years? I've run from me. I've run from God. I've run from truth. I've run from my brother. I've run from everything. I'm going to touch you at a place of strength. You've been running, but I'm about to touch you at a place of strength, and you're going to limp. And it's going to be a reminder that you can't trust your power. You've got to trust mine. And I'm going to touch you at a place of strength where it's a reminder that you would rather limp with me than to run from me. I'm going to touch you at a place of strength. And God will oftentimes touch us at a place of strength where we look at that and we go, that's where I get identity. That's where I get recognition. That's where I get worth. That happened to me. God touched me at a place of strength for me. After my third arm surgery, my identity, my worth, my value was all wrapped up in baseball. You go in, elbow surgery, 1985. That's when I surrendered to Christ. I'm like, I, I got to have Christ. If baseball's taken away, I have nothing. Reality is, if it stayed with me, I had nothing. I was lost. Another elbow surgery in 87. That's two. Man, I want to play pro ball. This is all I ever wanted to do. I signed with the Astros. I mean, come on, God. Tell me where you find your identity. It's not who you are. It's what you do. And then that last one, when I was with the Dodgers in 1988, he touched me at a place of strength for me. It was a place of identity and worth. I'll never forget. I'll never forget that July of 1988. I'm getting ready to have surgery in Los Angeles, Inglewood Hospital there, Sentinel Hospital in Inglewood, California. 
And I'll never forget when I was going in that day, I got out of the cab and I'm going into the doctor's office pre-op. They're going to admit me. I'm first one out of the chute the next morning to have major shoulder work. And this black lady in her mid sixties, while I'm standing at the elevator comes up to me and she goes, good morning. I said, good morning. She goes, what are you doing here? I said, I play baseball and my shoulder hurts and I, I got to have surgery. She goes, what's your name? I said, Tim Cash, what's your name? She goes, my, my name is uh, Jolly. I said, well, how about it? How you doing, Jolly? So we get on the elevator, set my bag down. Jolly looks at me and says, uh, Cash, yes, ma'am, do you believe in God? Yes, ma'am, I do believe in God. Father, in the name of Jesus, and this woman starts praying over me. I'm like, wow. Man, I'm about to go through some major slicing and dicing. This is before they did scope, baby. This is when they break out the blade. We finished praying. I got to go to this doctor visit I've got, Jolly. She goes, Cash, I'll see you later. I'm like, yes, ma'am. Come out of surgery the next day, three hours post-op. Man, puking, nauseous, just feels like crap. I'm laying there for about three hours. Come in. I'm thinking it's a nurse. Here she comes. I said, hey, Jolly. She goes, Cash. I said, yes, ma'am. She sits down on the bed next to me, and she looks at me. She said, as soon as I left you yesterday, God put you on my heart. I've been praying for you. And God showed me, Cash, in my prayer time last night, he's got a call on your life. You're going to take the gospel all over the nation. Cash, God, God's got a call on your life. You're, you're, you're to preach the name of Jesus, Cash. I needed that. I didn't know that. But God had touched me at a place of my identity. He goes, I got to touch you at the place of strength. There, there's some of you sitting in here. I've worked for this company for 20 years. I don't know why they fired me. But it's where your identity is. It's what you're trusting to provide for you. It's what you're trusting to do everything in your life. My identity is in this. And God goes, stop it. Your identity will be in me and nothing else. I'm a jealous God. I don't share my glory with anything and anybody. God will touch relationships at times. That's too important to you. You value that too much. You're finding worth. I've seen him blow up friendships, and people go, what happened? It was God. They were finding their identity and worth in the horizontal and not the vertical, and God goes, I got to touch it. You're going to limp in that area for a while. It's a crisis. It's a crisis. What are you going to do with it? Well, what are you going to do with it? Is it driven you to a place of commitment? was a brother in our first service first time he's ever walked on this campus was the saturday of easter weekend two of my other friends have been reaching out to him loving on him he said back here and wept his eyes out that saturday night his wife passed away just a couple of days ago he's my age and he tells these friends that are locked in here do you think we could do a memorial for my wife there those people loved me, and they didn't even know me. And those people prayed for me, and they didn't even know me. He's at a crisis right now. 
And he's wanting to know, is God real? Does God care? Is there people that genuinely love? Has there, any been, has there anybody else over there that's walking with a limp right now? And yeah, 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 we'll do a memorial with you here. We'll love on you through your crisis. But you're going to have to get committed to have a breakthrough with God. And you're going to have to confess the hidden junk in your life. And then you're going to have to reach that place where you consecrate your heart to God. I got to consecrate. I'm dedicated to you. You're, 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 you're my identity. Come on. And some of you sitting here, you go, I've been running from him. I've been running to him. It's time for me to get it right.